You know what I come across the most is that people spend too much time on some simple decisions that you're faced with right up front. So worrying about the look and feel, but not thinking about other elements of your customer's experience. So their buying experience needs to be great. The return experience needs to be great. There are actual business operations that need to be seamless or you are going to spend a lot of money on a beautiful site. You'll get a few people to check out and nobody to return. Welcome to the Startup CPG Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Freitag. It's November and we're entering the biggest online shopping season of the year in the U.S. How is your e-commerce site functioning? Or are you thinking about launching a new website? Black Friday is in a few weeks, so hopefully you can take away some actionable tips for the upcoming holiday months, or this can help you start thinking through your 2023 website planning. Here to help us navigate the topic of building a high-converting e-commerce website today is Kelly Ferris, Director of Sales for Small Business at BigCommerce. BigCommerce is a leading e-commerce software platform that enables companies of all sizes to sell physical and digital goods online. Listen in as Kelly shares about the definition of a high-converting website, how to build trust with customers, considerations for collecting reviews, best practices for structuring your website, key elements of a great homepage design and product pages, considerations for choosing an e-commerce platform and the different types of platforms out there, advice on when and how to engage agencies, and more. Before we hear from Kelly, I want to share more about Mondelez International's Snack Futures collab program because applications are still open, but closing soon. Everybody Eat is a collab program alum with their everybody-friendly, clean, gluten-free, plant-based, snack thins, crisp breads, and more. And here's co-founder Trish about the friends and network that they found. It's really hard to find a group of people where you feel supported, that you can ask questions. We're leaving with friends for life, but a peer network we can tap into inside and outside of Mondelez. For the 2023 Collab cohort, Mondelez International is looking for startup snack brands who are delicious and disruptive, have won the attention of retailers and consumers, and have at least $1 million in annual revenue. Last cohort, three brands selected for the program were from our startup CPG community, so this could be you. To learn more after this episode, head to applycollab.com. That's apply, C-O-L-A-B. Dot com to complete the application to be a part of the next collab cohort or grab the link in the show notes. Now let's hear from Kelly. Hi, Kelly. Welcome to the show today. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so excited to have you here to talk about a topic that is so popular in our community. We have done some webinar content with the big commerce team And just when we've had other episodes on the podcast, like it's always been very popular. So, so excited to have you here for our podcast audience today and would love if you could start us out by just telling us a little bit about who you are and then tell us a little bit about Big Commerce. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. So my name is Kelly Ferris. I am the Senior Director of Sales for our small business division at Big Commerce. That means I have a team of people that work with entrepreneurs, uh, emerging brands, uh, people trying to start a side hustle who are 
trying to figure out how to play this e-commerce game. I've been at BigCommerce for six years. Prior to that, I worked at IBM, uh, also in the e-commerce group and various other media teams. So I've been in this space for quite some time. So thanks for having us. I appreciate it. Uh, just to give you some background on Big commerce. We are an e-commerce software platform, but we're actually a little bit more than that as well. We're also a team of people that help people either build a beautiful website or start to think about how they sell not only on their website, but through multiple channels. And so we're a company that's evolving. Uh, we've been uh, around for about 10 years, went public in 2020 and based in Austin, Texas. Wow. Awesome. And I love that you've been in the space for the for a while and know your way around it. So this is super great. And so today we're going to get to kind of, we're going to be digging into like what goes into having a high converting e-commerce site, because that's kind of what, you know, all, whenever we're, we're launching a site, the goal is, you know, especially in CPG, we're trying to get conversions, um, through our website. And so I'd love if you could kind of start us out by giving us like a definition of like how you define like a high converting site. And then to, that'll help us kind of frame the the conversation. Well, really, I think for most people, they need to lower their expectations. A high converting site really is about a 3% converting conversion rate. That sounds low, but uh, you may already be doing that. Some people might have misinformed expectations that you need to be converting a majority of your traffic, but 3% is really good. That's super helpful to hear because, yeah, I think we're a lot of times we want to look for big numbers for big performance, but in context, um, you know, it's it's about what what it looks like in this specific example. So that's that's super helpful. Um, and I'm wondering if you can talk to a little bit about when you're building a site, uh, how building trust plays into that and in would love any examples of brands that do that well, but curious about kind of how trust plays in with building your e-commerce site? Ooh, good question. This is really great for people who are launching brands for the first time because you're trying to introduce yourself. You may be trying to educate somebody on this new category that you're creating and you're trying to establish that uh, people should buy your product because other people have bought your product and have enjoyed it. And so ways that people build trust is first tell your story in a dynamic, interesting, useful way. Um, what is your angle? So some people pick the angle of maybe sustainability or recyclability. If those are your angles, explain why you have that passion. People want to connect to the founder's story and people buy products because of that founder's story. So don't forget about being a really good storyteller. That helps. And, and be sure to come off as an authentic individual when you do that. The next way that you can build trust is to show that other people out there in the world have bought your product. And you do that generally through reviews. There's a website that I really like that I got to work with and help move over to big commerce called Sheets Laundry Club. They were recently featured on uh, lots of media and so they've gotten some notoriety, but they started off as a small company just trying to rethink how we buy laundry detergent in a plastic free way. And so what I like is they're trying to educate the world about their new category of laundry detergent. It doesn't look like the laundry detergent that you see at the grocery store. And so right when you go to Sheets Laundry Club, right in the middle, they have uh, their reviews featured. And so they're saying right up front, other people just like you have given us the stamp of approval. Most recently, they launched on Shark Tank. 
And uh, they've grown from just their laundry detergent to other household goods. But even though they have that notoriety, they even put their reviews right there in the middle of the page because that's what's good for them and for their conversion. So generating reviews, making sure that you've got both positive and negative reviews on your site is part of your strategy of building trust. The last point I'll make there about building trust is that you need to have some kind of proof. So whether your product is certified by a government agency, um, have you gone through some security testing Do you have any certifications or awards that you could brag about? Have been featured in a major publication? Those are other things that give you social proof for the product. Those are all great ways to build trust. Yeah, interesting. And do you you have data on like the timing or how it works when, when you're building trust with the person? Like if someone goes to your site for the first time, like do you know how long you have to kind of establish that feeling of trust or like, I'm curious about any data patterns around that. I think the common consensus is you have about 10 seconds to sell your story. And that's really tough, right? You need to create a homepage that expresses your authenticity, allows somebody to scroll and discover who you are, but you have to do it in a short period of time. Yeah. Are there any other brands that you recommend, you know, taking a look at um, for doing that, that, you know, I can link in the link in the show notes for people to take a peek at? Yeah, absolutely. Gourmet Fuel is another one. So they're a food subscription company out of Ireland. I like how they also added in a video testimonial. Um, I think I've heard some stats that adults need to be told something 10 times in different medium to really understand. And so that's another way. Not only do they have the blog content, uh, they've got all the certifications, but then they also have a video where they're going to tell you about about why and how they're trustworthy. So gourmetfuel.com could be another great example. Awesome. And you mentioned the reviews piece, and that's probably one of our, you know, I don't know about most, but it's definitely a popular question in our Slack channel of brands asking, what should I use uh, for reviews on my site? Should I, you know, use something that's, you know, native to the platform that I'm using? Should I do an add-on like a Yotpo or something? And I'm curious if you have any feedback on, you know, either apps you recommend or what goes into choosing you know, a, a widget or, or something to help you collect reviews? Yeah, there's a lot of companies out there that specialize in, in this category. So it's worth some effort to do your own research about what's important to you and what kind of message you're trying to get out of your user base. But Yapo is one um, that's very common. Smile.io, Stamp.io, uh, Bizarre Voice, um, all of which is another Austin-based company. Uh, all of those are really great recommendations. BigCommerce also has um, some native functionality that you can tap into. So it can also be a strategy where you start with something that's already built in and you graduate as you move along. Okay, great. And something like, if I if I remember correctly, something like Bizarre Voice is kind of like the beyond the the yacht pose kind of of the world and where they're also like going out and collecting reviews for you too. Is that right? Like it's, it's kind of beyond just collecting them from your site. That's right. They've kind of created a niche for themselves and extending beyond that. Okay. Very interesting. So yeah, that makes sense. Start with, start with maybe some native functionality, build some reviews and then see how you want to expand from there. Is there any other considerations to think through in there as far as like how it links in with your email or, you know, other pieces for choosing a review platform, like you mentioned video, like video capabilities or like what you see, you know, reducing the the friction for the consumer to do the reviews, any kind of best practices in there that you see help 
people be more successful um, finding a review platform that works? I think the question that my team ends up fielding most often is whether or not that review platform integrates or connects with the, their marketing platform of choice so that you can um, uh, solicit feedback from your customer base, email them. And so that connection um, and integration is really important to consider as well. Make it easier for you to operate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, so, you know, kind of talking a little bit about building trust, we've, you've mentioned that there's not a lot of time to get someone's attention. And so having a, like a simple, you know, site structure, I'm curious if you can talk a little bit about like an actual site structure design um, so that someone can navigate it. Any tips as far as, you know, when someone's going to land on your site and how they can navigate it, any like best, worst practices that you see things to Mm -hmm. consider as you're building that? Yeah. So there's some search capabilities that go into building really good filterable website. And so this is important to you if you've got more than a page worth of SKUs. If you do, then your job is to make it really easy for somebody to land in your site and find exactly the product that they're looking for. This is often done through filtering or some kind of search. Whenever you are setting up your website, how you organize your products is going to be really important. And I highly recommend that you really put yourself in your prospect's shoes um, and, and you may think about multiple ways to organize your product so that a particular product can be found within a few clicks. So for example, going back to my previous recommendation, sheetslaundryclub.com, what I really love is, is they've made the categories extremely visual. Uh, when you go on their shop page, they've got the category for laundry, kitchen, uh, self-care. They've also got bundles. And so as uh, a person going to the website for the first time, I can quickly get down to what's important to me and get down to, uh, let's say, the category of laundry. From there, they've got some additional filters based, based on scent. And so think about your customer's journey, making it really, really easy for them. Uh, I think we've mentioned another customer in the past, Spiceology, that has their site structured based on what spices you would cook with which food. So one of their filter categories is chicken. What spices work really well with chicken? That's a great demonstrated example of thinking through your prospect's experience and living in their shoes and making a site that's going to be useful for them. Right. Yeah. And and in that simple site structure too, because you want to, like we talked about, you want to build trust, but also people are coming to potentially purchase. What's the balance or is there a balance or is there a recommendation of like, you know, should people be able to see a kind of a shop now button from everywhere? Is there like, you know, how do you, how do you find that, that sweet spot of like sharing information, but also making sure people can navigate to the pages to see more about your products if, if they want to? Yeah. I mean, there's certainly a goal with your website and that's to get somebody to add something to the cart and to check out. So you need to organize it in a way where you have a solid call to action. Now, if you're in the blog section of uh, your website and you know the user is expecting to be uh, in more of the content section of the website, but you can you still use that as an opportunity to connect back to a product page. And once you're in a product page, you really need to optimize towards getting somebody to put that into their cart. And when you're on the cart page, you need to optimize around making sure it's really easy within a few clicks that somebody can check out. Um, so what you'll see out there in the marketplace right now is 
um, a lot of tools to make the checkout as easy as possible. Uh, that's one of my pet peeves, peeves personally, whenever I go to a website. If they don't have um, a one-click checkout option, I'm definitely more inclined to bounce from that page. But if I have my payment information already saved, or if there is a one-click checkout from a a provider that I trust, I'm definitely inclined to make that impulse purchase. Uh, I have a habit of that, Uh (laughs) as we all do, right? Yeah. Uh, So in order to make a really simple site, you have to think about what each page is intention is and then how do you optimize for that intention right and i'm curious about navigation because this is something that i've struggled with when like working on sites of like you know you've got the blog you've got the about us you've got the products you know maybe you've got a media page you can end up with like lots of different pages and then it's like do i nest these within something you know do i just have four categories and then there's you can you know categorize you know drill down from there like i'm curious if you have any tips or any data on like what people are drawn to as far as navigation like is less categories better is more categories very specific like i i'm curious about navigation i think the trend right now is that less is more to slim down some choices while also striking the balance by having lots of choice. So I think on the main page, you have to slim it down to a few choices. So again, think about this Sheets Laundry Club example. They've brought down their main shopping page to four main categories. Now, once you get to one of those categories, that's when you can start expanding because now you know your buyer wants to hone in on the kitchen items. So now you can give them more features to say, okay, not just kitchen, but I want um, uh, dishwash, uh, soap. For example, you could filter in and uh, provide more options there. The alternative would be to give all of those options on the main page. That can be a little overwhelming and you're not pushing them down the sales funnel any further by giving them all those options at the beginning. So I think the, the trend at the moment is to go simpler on the main page and then provide some filtering options that open up as you get through uh, the selections. Right. Okay. And kind of speaking of the homepage. I'm curious about other pieces that go into the homepage as far as like catching attention or like load speed and like how that can impact, you know, a person staying on your page. And wonder if you could talk us through a little bit more about the homepage in particular. Yeah, for sure. So I think there's a couple of categories. There's the desktop experience and the mobile experience. Uh, we know, and we've been on this path for quite some time, that more people are coming to our sites from a mobile device than ever before. Last Christmas holiday season broke records with the amount of mobile devices coming uh, to individual sites and and placing a checkout. So you definitely have to have a mobile-friendly homepage design. Um, When we traditionally think about a desktop design, site speed plays a role because, again, we mentioned earlier, you really only have 10 seconds to tell your story. But what this means for you is that you need to pick a platform that allows you to have some native built-in capabilities that allow you to do uh, what you want to do without burdening your website with too many additional apps. Unfortunately, if you plug in too much stuff to your website, it will slow down your site. There's lots of tools out there where you can do tests um, to your site speed if you've got questions. There's a lot of people out there that will run audits for you and make some recommendations. So if you think site speed is a concern for you, if it's slowing down your conversion rate, definitely take a look at whether the platform you're on is giving you enough native capability to do what you want to do. 
that's going to be very impactful to that 10 second time that you have with a prospect. And on site speed, is there anything that you can do when you're working on your site as far as like uploading images and optimizing them? Like, are there any things that you see that slow down sites the most as far as, you know, content that that people are adding to their sites as well? Yeah. So if you've got a lot of pictures on your website, um, you need to make sure you're on a platform that has a good content delivery network. What this means is it's built in that those sites and those images, maybe those extra files are stored more locally to the person who's trying to look at the information. That's going to help with site speed. That's not built into every e-commerce platform. In fact, uh, that's a very technical product uh, that is built into some SaaS platforms, but that will help significantly. So if you pick somebody with a good content delivery network, if you've got a lot of pictures uh, to load. Mm, that's interesting. Content delivery network. So that's very helpful. I'm, and also wondering about vid- trends with videos that you're seeing. You mentioned a little bit, you're seeing more like video testimonials, like as far as homepage design, like are, are videos becoming really important in the homepage piece as well? Oh, I just worked with uh, an emerging brand company and their big splash to announce that they were new to the market was a video. Um, they played a video that consumed the entire screen of the desktop with a great song in the background. And as the video went along, it revealed what the product was. I thought that was a really cool, engaging way. It created some mystery about it. Um, it was a fun way to engage with it. I think we live in a, like a short video kind of world with uh, Instagram and TikTok. So it resonated with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds really cool. Um, and then going to actual product page design, I wonder if you can kind of talk us through the pieces that go into designing a good product page. This one's uh, interesting because you have so much ability to add information to a product page. But again, you're balancing how much information do you uh, provide. You don't want to overwhelm the customer, but you want to educate them. So it really depends on the product that you have. Um, I think, think about uh, Green Roads. They're a CBD company on big commerce. They, on their product page, are doing a couple of things. They're trying to educate a buyer on what CBD is. And so it's really important for them on their product page to explain and educate to the customer. So they spend some time talking about that. Um, they put their reviews on the product page because it, it means something to them to say that they're social proof about why somebody needs CBD oil, oil to improve their rest. Um, they also have icons to describe uh, why their product is helpful. And that just makes it easier to read. You, you look at the page and you, f- you feel like it's a trustworthy page. I have seen plenty of CBD stores that don't follow the best practices of green roads. And so the trust factor declines immensely. Uh, from there, you can get really detailed um, and link to other pages that, that talk more about your particular product, if that's of interest to you. You can have a tabbed approach on the product page. I see this a lot in more of a B2B industry when uh, they want to talk about uh, some additional product specifications on the website. Uh, before a, a CPG company, think about putting a product review on the site, having some icons uh, and describing why that product is a good fit for that prospect. Right. And and what kind of goes, you know, uh, should go above the fold, below the fold? And, and can you kind of explain what, what that term uh, term means when you're thinking above the fold, below the fold? But I'm also wondering what, you know, how that go- plays into the product page. 
oh yeah, above the fold and below the fold really goes back to an old newspaper term. You think about that folded newspaper. What did somebody see on the top page? Um, and so that if it was below the fold, that's when you really had to pick up the newspaper and look at the bottom of the newspaper. So think about that image in your head. What is going to be above the fold? Um, just thinking about bigcommerce.com, I, I get to work with my marketing colleagues and we were often thinking about our own website and what we put above the fold. And things that are top of mind for us are what's the main call to action? What are we asking the visitor to do? And does that get them closer to the purchase funnel? Uh, we also uh, think about what goes below the fold because that should be additional details. And it should, for our site, encourage somebody to scroll down to read more. That's what above the fold and below the fold means. Great. So things like FAQs about your product or like, you know, maybe you have a couple reviews above the fold and then you can see more below the fold. So just like lots more detail there if people want to to go down to find it. Yeah, exactly. I'm thinking about the Green Roads uh, product page. So what they have above the fold is the big description of what their product is. And then right underneath that, they have the amount of reviews that they have and the stars for that product. I think they made that decision on purpose for their particular product. They're trying to show some social proof. And so that's why they made the decision to put that item above the fold. For your product, it could be different. Mm -hmm. I think I also saw a note from your team about the importance of just making sure there's like an introduction to you as a brand on every page. Can you talk a little bit about what that means? Yeah, I think that's really about telling the story. I think there's so much discoverability out there on social media sites like Instagram and TikTok. And so it's really great environment for all these entrepreneurs out there. People want to discover your product on Instagram or Facebook. Then they want to go to your site to continue the story. So they might have gotten hooked and they might have found you on these social sites. Now they're going to come to your site to gut check who you are. And again, you only have a couple of seconds to prove who you are. And so I know when I uh, see new products on TikTok, which is one of my favorite things to do. I go to TikTok. I see a cool product is advertised to me. I click on the website. I immediately go to our story. I want to know about that founder. I want to know if they're in my demographic. I want to know if they live near me. I want to be their fan. And I represent that by being a customer. Um, I did that with Sheets Laundry Club. I got to know them because we had a sales conversation. But then over time, I've uh, gotten to follow their Instagram and social media story. And I see how they represent themselves online as a conscious, eco-friendly company. Uh, I think they're a good example of that. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And we we also talked a little bit about like, you know, site speed and we talked about review add-ons and there's other add-ons as well. And I was looking at kind of questions that uh, are frequently asked in our community regarding e-commerce. And one of them was like, how do I balance adding, you know, these these widgets or pieces to my site that seem really useful, but then they might affect my site speed. Like, how do I know if they're going to slow it down? How many is too many? Like, how do you kind of navigate the add-on conversation? And do you have any recommendations? The thing is, this is a hard game to play, right? There are so many different things that you could do to your website. You have all the options in the world. My real answer is that I think you need some guidance and some help. And so maybe it's more appropriate for me to tell you, how could you go get some guidance and help to de make the determining factor for you and your particular brand? Yeah. Um, the e-commerce platform that you work with should be able to provide you some advice. 
So for example, at Big Commerce, we've got lots of ways people can get that question answered just for them. One of the ways you could do that is by hiring Big Commerce to do a conversion audit for you. That's where we take a look at your site speed. We take a look at your conversion rates. We uh, have a checklist to compare against best practices. And this is all done for economical costs. We're really there just trying to make sure that our merchants are trying to sell more. And so the cost of the solution is really just to, to cover our time. That is really great for people who are um, going into holiday season. If you're worried that your site isn't optimized for conversion, go get some professional third-party help. There's economical ways for you to do that. Alternatively, if you are about to drop some money on some ad spend, before you drop some money, go get some advice and third-party help. Uh, If you Google just um, conversion site optimization, you'll probably find half a dozen third-party agencies who would be happy to give you that consultative advice and often do that as um, a lead generator for themselves. They'll give you some advice on how to optimize your site. And they're hoping that later on, you'll come to them when you need some design updates or you need some help with your PR strategy. So go get some help. It's a hard game to play. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think because website building it used to be so complicated and then over time it's gotten like i think a lot of us used wordpress back in the day and like even that was kind of complicated compared to like the back ends of you know working on sites now so i think it's there's it's so approachable now there's this like at least you know and i've been in this place of like well i should just be able to figure it out like it looks pretty easy like i'll just do it and figure it out later. But I think that, you know, as your site grows, or if you're sending to your point, like a ton of traffic to your site via ads, then it can be helpful to have someone else take a look at it, either rather than you learning by error or spending hours researching them online, something that, you know, a partner could just be like, hey, here's how to do this, or here's what makes (laughs) sense for your site. Yeah, exactly. And because the people that are in the business, either folks at the platform that you're working at or somebody in an agency that helps people build sites, they feel these questions all day, every day. So instead of you trying to do the research, uh, this is a great place to go get some consultative help. Uh, The other point I'll add there is um, consider the filter through which the platform that you're working on um, graded these other companies that, that can connect into your software system. So for example, BigCommerce has a curated app ecosystem. That's very different than the WooCommerce of the past where any old developer could create an app for WooCommerce. You didn't really know what you were downloading to the site or the havoc you could cause. At BigCommerce, there's a curated process that goes into that. So what's in our app ecosystem has been tested and is, is available to all sorts of sites. So you've got some assurances there. That helps. Yeah. What are some other kind of considerate? Those are both super helpful. Some other considerations for like choosing the right e-commerce platform for you. What are some other like red flags or green flags to to look for when you're trying to choose the platform? Yeah, this is a question I field often. And I think Shopify is a, a really great company, definitely a market leader. And it's a wonderful place for people to start their e-commerce journey. I've seen beautiful sites built on Shopify. I think what you have to consider, though, uh, right up front is what kind of needs do you have? And I hear people make new to e-commerce decisions all the time. And Shopify could be the answer. Um, but they didn't think about what they were trying to build or where they were trying to go. So let me give you some some hints uh, of if if I were to build a website for the first time, what advice I would give? First off, think about 
your needs? Are you building a simple website designed to convert and sell maybe a handful of SKUs? Is your model a B2C model? Is it a B2B model? Are you trying to have any interesting or unique customer experience on the front end to try to disrupt your industry? For example, are you trying to deliver like a subscription service? Another factor to consider is what is your growth expectation? Is this a site that you want it to grow organically over time? Or is it one where you have some investment, there's a short-term opportunity and you're trying to experience rapid growth? All of those could be a reason to pick one platform over another. Uh, at Big Commerce, we help people do the, the simple B2C site, but we also, and our claim to fame is to help people do the complex experiences. And that's where our open SaaS platform really helps people explore and do interesting things on the website. So that could be connecting to subscription platforms. It could be starting uh, a wholesale B2B strategy on the same website that you have your B2C sales happening. Um, so consider your needs, where you're going, not just today, but where are you going in the next six months? Where do you want to be in a year? When do you, where do you want to be in five years? And then as you're doing the research on the platform, think about which company aligns to your particular needs. Yeah, that's very helpful. And can you talk a little bit more about like the open SaaS platform piece? And can you explain a little bit what the what the terminology means and like and what that means kind of as a differentiator? Because that sounds really interesting. Yeah. So I've been in this e-commerce game for quite some time. And so I think about it as this spectrum of choices that you have where BigCommerce is uniquely positioned between uh, the, the wide variety of choices. So on one hand, you've got the legacy software systems that allowed you to create a website. I came from IBM. IBM would have been those one of those legacy software systems. Uh, back in 2004, it would cost someone at minimum a million dollars to make a website at minimum on IBM. Uh, that software gave people all the flexibility in the world. You could do anything you wanted on IBM. Another comparison would be Magento. Another great example of uh, on-prem software solution where you could do and design anything. The unfortunate items about both of those solutions is they either required a lot of tech infrastructure that you had to manage, or they required a lot of development time. So they were open and allowed you to do many, many things and create experiences, but the cost was extremely heavy. On the exact opposite of the spectrum is a SaaS-based company, software as a service. And that's where a company takes care of all the infrastructure needs, all the technology needs, all the PCI compliance needs. And all you really have to do is load up your products and start selling online. And a prime example of that would be Shopify. BigCommerce comes in in between there. And so what we're trying to do is have the flexibility that you could get on Magento, meaning you could be open and create interesting, unique experiences online for individuals, design the website particularly fit for your brand, uh, while also having the benefits that come along with SaaS, meaning you don't have to worry about the technology, the PCI compliance, the infrastructure. You know you're building on a solid platform. The technology is taken care of for you for uh, a monthly fee. Those two items make us unique and different in the market. And, and to our partners, it makes us unique and different as well. So that means that we work with the best of breed technologies in a ton of different categories. So think about you are starting a new business, right? You've got certain business needs, but as your business matures into say a teenager or a young adult, <laughs> and you're starting to generate more and more revenue, the needs of that business changes. 
And what you plug into your BigCommerce website will change over time. But because we have an open approach, meaning we allow a lot of other technology providers to plug into BigCommerce, you have choice and you can graduate as you grow on BigCommerce. Uh, so that's uh, a long monologue <laughs> on open SaaS. That that's very helpful though to kind of understand uh the different types of types of players and and where big commerce falls so that's very helpful. And can you um PCI compliance can you break out that acronym for us? Yeah, PCI compliance stands for payment card industry. And so what this is is it I can summarize it as the responsibility to make sure that you're telling uh credit card companies that you are legitimate and um, you are not exposing them or your prospects to fraud or risk. And so having a PCI compliant website really relieves and takes the burden off of you as the merchant from providing that proof. What people have to do if they do not have a PCI compliant uh, platform is they have to go through auditing. They have to take on the burden of security. They probably have to have staff for it. And so having a site that's already PCI compliant really uh, enables smaller merchants to just go and build and be creative. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's very helpful. I'm also curious about your perspective about kind of when and how to work with agency partners. We talked a little bit earlier about some examples of like when it comes to, you know, deciding what add-ons to add on and, you know, what works for you. But I'm curious about other, you know, cases or, or places where it makes sense to bring on an agency partner and what to consider when, when you're, um, when you're building out your, your e-commerce site. Oh, such a great question. Working with an agency partner, I think is a critical component to a solid e-commerce strategy. And your willingness uh, and ability to go procure outsource parts of your e-commerce strategy could change over time. I get to work with agency partners and they come in a, in a variety of different flavors, but basically the agency partner can help you do simple things like just build out your site. They could uh, do small tasks like adding products. They could do um, marketing tasks like generating marketing campaigns or optimizing your site for conversion. They can help you with your uh, Google paper click uh, game that you're trying to play. Uh, they can make sure that you've got a really great PR strategy. They could make sure that uh, your pictures look beautiful and you have got a really great logo and a really great brand image. E-commerce agencies have specialties in all of these categories. And usually what I find when somebody's trying to pick a partner or they're considering a partner, the first thing to think about is what do you want to keep as your core competency? I spoke to uh, a company the other day that said, our sweet spot and what we want to retain in-house is the architecture. That's what we like. That's what we like to do. So we want to maintain the architecture design of our website, but we want to outsource other parts of the website. So they've hired an, um, somebody to do their logo and their design. They're going to hire somebody to do their campaign. Um, and, and they're also going to hire somebody to do some integrations to some third-party systems. Those are all places and spots where you could hire an agency partner. Most frequently though, if you're brand new to e-commerce, where you're going to think about hiring an agency partner is number one, to make a really beautiful site based on industry best practices. And then number two, probably to help you with your uh, ad spend and to optimize return on spend. You have to generate some traffic to come to your website so that you can get some conversions and an ad agency can do a, uh, a lot for you in that regard. The last point I'll make on how to pick the right partner is like thinking through the budget. So Budgets range. I've seen um, really great stores made for about $5,000. I've also seen beautiful stores made 
for $100,000. The thought process behind both of those items is what are what is critical to your audience? What are you trying to communicate? What uh, user experience are you trying to create? And what business model? All of those factor into the budget that you need to pick the right agency. And there are agencies out there that span the spectrum. So if you need some advice, uh, always available to point you in the right direction. Great. I'm, I'm curious if there's, that made me wonder of as as someone that's built some sites and made some mistakes i'm curious if there's any common threads of things that you see people try to do on their own that go wrong the most frequently like are there any of like you know trying to be like oh i'm gonna go into this part of the code and edit this and then this happens i'm like i'm curious if there's any examples of like things that are really the are really hard to mess with on your own and not do correctly. Mm. You know, what I come across the most is that people spend too much time on some simple decisions that you're faced with right up front. So too much time, like picking the logo, uh, too much time worrying about the look and feel, but not thinking about other elements of your customer's experience. So their Mm. buying experience needs to be great. The return experience needs to be great. There are actual business operations that need to be seamless or you are going to spend a lot of money on a beautiful site. You'll get a few people to check out and nobody to return. You have to create return visitors. Operations are really critically important. Um, So often it's not even about um, making the wrong coding mistakes. It's about worrying too much about simple decisions. That's where I see people mess up. Yeah, that. That makes sense. Yeah. And, and and I've done that of like, you're, you're worried about making some piece look perfect, but then, you know, the checkout experience is terrible or something and, uh, and, or isn't working. Um, so yeah, that, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Focus on the customer's actual journey and the clicks they're going to have to make. Oh yeah. I talked to uh, a seltzer company, beautiful site, so gorgeous, love it so much, but the con- the checkout process, uh, too many steps to it. It didn't optimize at all. It didn't include um, any buy now, pay later, one-click checkout options. Uh, they were going to have low conversion, no matter how beautiful the front end was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I I once started working uh, at a company and inherited the website as part of my responsibilities. And I was like, oh, I'll, I'll see how this is working. And I was like, wait, you can't check out. Like it wasn't possible <laughs> to check out. And I looked and like no one had checked out for months. And I was like, oh no, like, but it looked pr- fine. You know, like the homepage looked great. And so, yeah, just nobody had gone through checkout and nobody had been able to purchase for a long time. So yeah, had oh, to solve that pretty quick. Those are expensive problems. <laughs> yes, very expensive problems. So uh, yeah, <laughs> glad I noticed that one uh, when I started that job. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so that's that's very interesting. Um, I'm also just a couple thinking of a couple other like frequently asked questions. Um, another one that I see a lot is is brands trying to decide, should I do all free shipping or should I do like a lower cost and pay for shipping? And a lot of times what comes into that is trying to compete with Amazon Prime or think about the people have Amazon Prime as an option. And I'm wondering about what you find or what you see any trends on the on the free shipping conversation as far as, you know, again, it goes into building trust. It goes into like the ease for the consumer. Curious about your thoughts on that conversation. Oh, yeah. What a game to play there as well. Uh, Free shipping all day. If you can afford it and it's within your strategy, definitely have to try to uh, compete. I know as a consumer, uh, that's important to me. 
I will often uh, go find something on a website that I love and go look to see if I have it on Amazon because I know I can have that instant return of having shipping really uh, close to me. As an entrepreneur, that would hurt my soul if I had my prospects doing that to me. They were finding things on my website just because uh, delivery speed or cost was too much. And they went and purchased from a channel that probably charged me 15% for that convenience. Um, that is definitely uh, a hard thing to do. What you, what you can do to combat that is free shipping. Another thing that you can do to combat that is figure out if you can work with logistics providers. There's a lot of third-party companies out there that will uh, warehouse your goods. Uh, big commerce will communicate with those warehouses. And that way you can be have products as close to your buyers as possible. Uh, ShipBob is a company that comes to mind that a lot of people work with to try to deliver that Amazon-like experience. Um, uh, speaking of Amazon, we'll be making some releases where uh, BigCommerce customers can leverage their buy with Prime through BigCommerce uh, to try to achieve some of these functionalities. So there's lots of innovation that's going on about how do you make your website um, just as attractive as some of these marketplaces that can make really great shipping and delivery time promises. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's really interesting and plays into the just if you if you have or are going to use a fulfillment provider like you mentioned, I I've done some searches for, you know, finding a, a fulfillment provider. And that question comes up of, you know, what platform are you using? And if it's not one of the major platforms, sometimes that can be a sticking point, even if it's going to be a really great warehousing provider. It may just not, you know, they may not be able to integrate with with, you know, a site that you've built on. So when you build on the major platforms, usually there's there's a way to to integrate so that they can do your shipping more seamlessly. Oh, exactly. Exactly. Uh, that integration is often why we are chosen by individuals. Do we just integrate to the right fulfillment and warehousing solution that they need to connect to? If you know that that is critical to your strategy, then that has to be your guiding light, what integrates with those pieces. And I'll just add to on this topic. So at Startup CPG, we have a free database of 3PL fulfillment and warehouse providers. And we actually have a column for integrations, all the major integrations like big commerce. And so you can, you know, search for that and find providers that, you know, 3PL providers that are going to integrate with your website setup. Or if your website setup isn't one of the major ones, then you can you can also see that. But that can be a really good resource for kind of pairing this this conversation with finding a new fulfillment partner. We've got some resources for you. One other other question is on like pop-ups and you know whether it's a newsletter, whether it's a coupon, curious about any insights you have about and if big commerce like has any native capabilities to add those kind of things like how what should be considered when you're deciding, you know, the delay time or should I have a pop up with the coupon? Should it go to my newsletter? Should it go to SMS? Like curious about those pieces. Yeah. So our enterprise customers are often working with a customer success manager. And this is a prime example of why getting some assistance from your platform provider can really help out your strategy. So our enterprise customers, uh, they get some periodic business reviews. And a prime example is what you just described. Um, our customer success agents understand the accounts that they serve and the KPIs or the conversion metrics they're trying to achieve on the website. And so what they do is they come forward with some ideas that will help you increase revenue, increase conversion rate, 
or cut costs. And a prime example could be these pop-ups. Um, what they would do is they would come forward with examples of how other people in the same industry or people in the same growth path as, as you, what they have done to try to uh, optimize the, their website. For some brand stories, a pop-up is not appropriate. For other brand stories, that's exactly what you need to do. Capture some quick attention, um, uh, offer something to them before they click out of the page. It really just depends on your brand strategy. But getting some advice from a customer success manager on what's just right for you is really, really helpful. Yeah. And kind of on that note, can you tell us a little more about what it looks like to work with big commerce? Like, you know, how does it... How does it work? Do you go to your website, sign up for an account, and then interface with the team? Like, what's kind of the process for for working with big commerce? There's all way, all sorts of ways to come in and get some help from big commerce. There is a free trial that you can get. It's a two week free trial, and while you are a, a prospect in that free trial, you've got access to a bunch of people. So it's really great to place to evaluate not just our technology, but it's a really great place to evaluate uh, the people at BigCommerce. First off, what you can experience is our 24-7 support based in Austin, Texas. We call our support agents ninjas. They're a great soul of the company. A lot of people start their career at BigCommerce as a technical support agent and graduate into other parts of the company. And so uh, you can do that as a trialee. So go spin up a BigCommerce website, give our people a try. Call into support, text support, email into support. It's available 24-7-365. Somebody is there to get back to you. And we often field how-to questions. So it's a great place if you're just getting started to go try us out. That's one way uh, you can experience us. Another way is people often hire us to coach them through the launch process. So all those decisions you have to make when you're spinning up an e-commerce website, but how do I do taxes? How do I do shipping? How do I set up the free shipping? Um, uh, what kind of apps do I need to plug into my website? There's a thousand decisions to make. What we do is we can pair you with a launch coach to help you make those decisions. And so what we've got is a launch package. It's delivered in a remote session. Uh, you could do it in as, in as little as three half-day sessions. They've got a curriculum that they walk you through. Uh, those ninjas I mentioned before, we usually recruit from that group. Um, those that are really, really great with customers and talking about big commerce and teaching other people are usually plucked to be a launch coach. So this group is very technical. They know our app ecosystem in and out. They know how to leverage all the different spots of the big commerce backend so that you can rank higher organically uh, so that you can maximize your return on spend. So I highly recommend uh, you get a launch coach. Of course, you could launch on your own for sure, but getting somebody to help you is just going to save you some, some time and heartache. So that's one way that you could get some help from e-commerce. Another way is our enterprise customers also get some premium services. I mentioned the customer success manager. They also might get an implementation project manager. So that'd be really good if you're a brand who's thinking about subscriptions, you want to tie into an ERP system. You've got some complexity, you might need a project manager to help you wrangle all of these things so that you can get to the launch date on time. Uh, and then lastly, the one other great way to experience BigCommerce and see the people at work is to work with a BigCommerce agency partner. Um, our team uh, and my team in particular is happy to make a recommendation. You can always call in as well. So if you go to the BigCommerce website at the top of the page is our sales 1-800 number. My team answers those calls and we're happy to field any question you have. Awesome. That's great. And I love that you brought up the people component because I think it's easy to get 
stuck in the like looking at like okay this this one's x number of dollars a month this one this one's x number of dollars a month and you're kind of comparing you know based on a dollar difference or a few dollar difference for you know choosing an ongoing subscription and and the price that price is important but the people and the service that you're going to receive you know if you're receiving world class customer service that's going to save you more than a couple dollars worth of time a month. And so I'm glad that you brought up that. And it sounds like Big Commerce has a really great team of people ready to ready to help. Oh, my gosh. We continually get voted best place to work in Austin for a reason. We care about the people. Uh, our CFO is also our chief uh, uh, culture officer as well and helps drive it. But he started a practice of how do we interview for candidates? And, and I really love it because I think it integrates into the culture. It helps resonate um, in uh, hopefully our merchants are feeling it as well, but we do it through two lenses, bucket one and bucket two. Can you do the job? Do you bring a star quality to the job that you do? And so as an employee for six years, I get to work with really cool colleagues who really care about people. We're obsessed with online shopping. We care about brands growing. And so I agree. I think the people element is often overlooked if you're just looking at a, some pricing pages online. Yeah. Awesome. Well, speaking of great partners, we're so glad at Startup CPG to have Big Commerce is a partner and so appreciate all the knowledge that you and your team have shared with our community and appreciate your time on the episode today. I encourage everybody to go to bigcommerce.com. They've also got social media presences. So you can go to at Big Commerce on Instagram. There's great information. So definitely encourage everyone to go check that out. And Kelly, just really appreciate your time today. It was so great having you on the show and really appreciate all your knowledge. Appreciate the opportunity. Thank you so much. Thank you to our partner, Big Commerce, for sponsoring this episode. CPG companies can leverage Big Commerce in three major ways. One, to create beautiful websites for their B2C consumer base. Two, to bring their B2B wholesale sales experience online. Three, leverage their channel connection technology to access, publish, and sell products on social channels like Instagram and TikTok or marketplaces like Walmart and Target. Go to bigcommerce.com to learn more. Thank you for listening in today. I'm so honored you joined me for this conversation and I love hearing from you all with feedback, suggestions, or if you just want to say hi at podcast at startupcpg.com or you can find me on LinkedIn. If you liked this episode, we'd love for you to share it with a friend or colleague, subscribe so you don't miss future episodes, and maybe even leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. If you aren't yet in our Slack community of founders and experts, we'd love to see you there. You can get the free invite at startupcpg.com and find all our other awesome resources there like webinars, databases, the blog, the magazine, and virtual and in-person events. And if you found yourself rocking out to our intro and outro music, which I do every single time, make sure to check out the Super Fantastics on Spotify. It's the band of our Startup CPG founder, Daniel Scharf. I'm Jesse Freitag, your host and producer. And on behalf of the whole team at Startup CPG, thank you for being here and see you next week.